This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 117 of the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Second episode this week covered Rutgers Women's Soccer preview for the College Cup Final Four this Friday in Santa Clara, California, taking on number one team in the country, Florida State. Lots of coverage at onthebanks.com as well leading up to it. I had a, a opportunity to speak to uh, four impact freshmen for that team this week, Riley Ternan, Emily Mason, Kylie Daigley, and Cassidy Banks. That will be coming out on Thursday. And we'll have a game preview and game thread for Friday night's game as well. But for this episode, wanted to really dive into Rutgers men's basketball, seven games into the season, four and three record, coming off Tuesday night's win at Jersey Mike's Arena slash the rack. Impressive performance against Clemson, their best performance of the season by far. Clemson came into the game ranked number 45th in Ken Palm. Rutgers was number 93. This was a huge opportunity for them to get a quality win, and they did just that. 74-64 win. Ron Harper Jr., his best game of the season, 23 points, 9 rebounds. He also had four three-pointers, and I think just as important, he drew two charges. There was even a point where he uh, dove on the floor, made a one-armed pass uh, to Caleb McConnell, who then found Andre Hyatt for a three-pointer. I just thought that he exhibited leadership and performed in a way that this team, frankly, needs from him night in and night out. And it was great to see him do that against their, the toughest opponent they've played so far. And then we had a few developments. Jalen Miller playing his first game of the season, seven minutes off the bench, gave them a real lift, I thought, defensively and just energy-wise. I think that Rutgers really responded to him. We'll talk about that in a little bit more. And then I, I think encouraging Paul Mulcahy and Kayla McConnell starting to really uh, up their games Mulcahy uh, had uh, nine rebounds, excuse me, he had uh, seven assists and seven rebounds last night, including one turnover. Uh, and in the last four games now, had 19 assists to just four turnovers. So I think he's really starting to develop handling the ball. I think, you know, he's, while he is a primary ball handler, he's not just bringing it up slowly up the court anymore. He's getting more involved into the possession farther into Caleb McConnell was doing a lot of ball handling last night. I think that was a good switch. But Mulcahy in his last four games now has averaged 8.8 points, 5.8 rebounds, 4.8 assists, and 1.8 steals. So he's looking a lot more comfortable out there. And then Caleb McConnell, you know, much better last night. 16 points on just seven shots, five to seven from the field. He did struggle a little bit from the foul line. He had six rebounds. And then the uh, game before at UMass, obviously a loss uh, and disappointing but uh, another sign that he's starting to, to break out of his slump uh, with uh, six steals along with six points and uh, also had six rebounds. So uh, more production from both of them, uh, really secondary stars on this team that Rutgers had to have more out of after that sluggish start. Even, you know, though Lehigh, Merrimack and JAT were wins, none of them were very impressive. And then obviously back-to-back-to-back losses at DePaul, Lafayette, and UMass. I do think that there's some positive trends to, to harp on, aside from just the way they played against Clemson. Just looking at the numbers a little bit more in regard to Ken Palm, a few I wanted to point out. Rutgers right now, extremely low turnover ratio. Uh, their turnover rate as a team is just 14.6, which is 22nd best in the country. 
that's going to be huge to, to maintain as the competition here gets stronger. And then on the boards, they're, they're rebounding actually at a pretty high level. Their top 100 offensive rebounding rate, 31.8%, 86 offensively. And then they're holding opponents to just 22.8%, which is 37. So they're doing a much better job on the boards. They're holding opponents to just 43.4% from two-point range. That ranks 40th. Uh, and then block and steal percentage, they're in the top 100. So they're forcing turnovers. They're limiting turnovers. They're rebounding. Shooting, obviously, still the big issue with this team. <laughs> uh, even after last night's performance, uh, which they were 7 of 19 from three-point range, they're still just 26% for the year. Ranks 336 out of 350-some teams. Uh, but really, you know, the concern also is in two-point range, layups, shots near the rim. They're only shooting 47.3% from two-point range. Uh, that's that's bad. That's uh, 227th. Uh, in, the, in the previous two years, even though Rutgers struggled from three, they were really good 50% uh, plus shooting team from two-point range. So that's really something they have to improve on. Free throw uh, percentage are at 667 you know, didn't have the best night last night. Hopefully, uh, you know, they can trend back over 67%. But even so, uh, as sad as it may sound, it's still an improvement from years past where they've been sub 300 every single year under Steve Peichel. So some trends to watch there. And then just individually, I thought a few things worth pointing out as a, a, a rebounding wise, you know, Ron Harper, uh, Jr., Andre Hyatt, and Cliff Omori are all in the top 500 for defensive rebounding rate uh, and Ron and Cliff are actually top 160. So uh, that's really important uh, for them to carry the load. Uh, Cliff's also 10% uh, offensive rebounding rate. That's top 250. And then you have assist rate, Mulcahy and Baker. Uh, obviously Gio's been out, will be out, I believe uh, for a little bit here. I don't expect him back uh, this weekend, but Mulcahy 245th, uh, uh, best assist rate in the country, 24.2%. So turnover rate isn't, uh, he, you know, he struggled those first two games, had seven turnovers. His first two games, he has four turnovers, his last four. So he's really making improvements there, and that number will improve. And something that's different for him is steal rate. He has a really high steal rate. Uh, he's top 300. And then Caleb McConnell, 25th in the country, uh, steal rate, 5.5%. The last point I wanted to mention with these Kempom stats is free throw rate, something that Rutgers never has really been strong in. Uh, they have three guys that are getting to the foul line. Ron Harper, 39.3% free throw rate, 335th nationally. Uh, Kayla McConnell, 43%, uh, 261st. And then Cliff at 46.3, 225th. So those are three guys that are getting to the foul line. Um, neither of them are shooting particularly well from the foul line. But Caleb McConnell's going to come around. He's only 9 of 19. He, he's uh, career-wise 79% free-throw shooter. Uh, that's not going to last. Ron Harper uh, is a little bit below his career average as well. He's uh, shooting 66%. He should be slightly over 70. So I think there's adjustment there. Cliff's actually doing all right. He's shooting 64%. I think if he can keep that up at the free-throw line, that's a huge improvement from years past, both for him and Miles Johnson. So you know, listen, it's the disappointing start, uh, no doubt. You can't lose to DePaul, Lafayette, Massachusetts all in a row. They did. That's the reality. Uh, their margin for error is much smaller moving forward. You know, there were some disturbing trends in terms of their perimeter defense, uh, just in terms of their, their lack of urgency and energy on the court, I thought. And one thing that, that we're going to talk about in a little bit is just you know, while the losses of, of certain players like Jacob Young, Miles Johnson, and, and Montez Mathis were significant, I really think that the poor start 
listen, they're one possession away from winning all three of those games. And that's, you know, that just comes down to the, the, the returning players, the core players of this team not performing well enough. And I think that we saw, we've seen all of them start to come out a little bit. And I think Clemson, you know, was a prototypical Steve Peichel win for this team, the way they play defense, holding, you know, the number three, three point shooting team in the country to just four of 18. Uh, McConnell did an amazing job on Nick Honor. I think uh, that's, that's the route back to this, uh, to success is, is defense and rebounding and being smarter on the offensive end. I think the decision-making and uh, situational awareness has been lacking. And it seems like, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if the non-conference schedule has hurt this team in a way that Steve Peichel didn't anticipate, uh, a lack of focus, a lack of energy. But now that the competition is increasing, uh, you know, they had their best two offensive games against their, uh, by definition, you know, highest ranked opponents so far. So a huge test on Friday uh, at Illinois to open the Big Ten play. Uh, they traditionally have played well there. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how they do. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world, to be honest, if they lose to Illinois and then next week at Purdue, who probably will be the number one team in the country when they come to the rack. I think right now it's essential. They need to win out in non-conference play. I think that game two Sundays from now at Seton Hall is so huge for this season. If they can win that one and win out the rest of non-conference play, they get out with an eight and three record. Certainly not fantastic, but not, I don't, you know, listen, that Lafayette loss is going to, it's going to be there in bold face the whole rest of the year. Uh, UMass and DePaul, while not good losses at all, you know, they are hovering right above the uh, 100 mark in Ken Palm, though they potentially could get under that mark. Those losses aren't, you know, they're not catastrophic. So the good news is there's lots of opportunity for this team to make up for it. You know, obviously with Big Ten play, they, they don't have, you know, the, almost all of their games now, now that Big Ten play starting Seton Hall. Uh, other than a handful uh, of uh, non-conference games left um, at the end of December, every every opponent is a top 75, more or less, uh, Ken Palm opponent. Opportunity to move up in Ken Palm, they're right now at 88. And one 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 similarity I wanted to mention was just with the, the 2020 team two years ago. You know, they really struggled in the beginning, too. Not, they didn't have any uh, losses as bad as this team has suffered, but they were 6-3, and three, if you remember. They played Pitt. And the ACC Big Ten Challenge came home, really had a bad performance. They were 6-3, and three, about to go into Big Ten play. There were a lot of questions and concerns about that team. And it really took them till that point to really shake things out with the rotation. And I think something similar is happening with this team. You know, I'm not saying they're going to be able to turn around in that fashion and win 20 games. Obviously, it's possible. And I think a lot more improvement has to happen. But I think we're seeing signs in the last two games that this team is not as bad as they looked in those three losses. And I think that you know, shooting wise, they still have a, a, a kind of balanced correction coming in terms of, you know, the shooting percentages for the year are still way below what we're accustomed to seeing, even for a team such as Rutgers, uh, you know, they're shooting 40.7% for the year from the floor, 26% from three, Th those are going to get a little bit better. So I think um, being able to put together complete performances on the defensive end, rebounding, coupled with better shooting, better decision-making on offense. Uh, and, and this team is going to, Listen, they're going to win more games than lose. I really believe that. How many? Will it get them to March? I don't know. Remains to be seen. But to answer those questions and talk more about this start, welcome, uh, happy to welcome back to the podcast uh, the dean of the Rutgers basketball beat and New Jersey basketball beat, Jerry Carino, and we welcome him in now. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Jerry Carino, longtime beat writer for Rutgers basketball, New Jersey basketball, 
Asbury Park Press, Gannett News. Jerry, thanks so much for being back. It's good to be back, and it's good to talk to you, Aaron, after a positive development in what's been a really rough start to the season for the Scarlet Knights. Well, I've had a lot of people reach out, and you know, they were really hoping that I, that I would have a podcast this week to talk about basketball. And of course, no one better to talk to about the state of this program than with you. So let's start there. It's the morning after the win over Clemson. You know, much more of what we expected from this team. A prototypical victory, I think, for a Pikeville coach team. Really good defense. They played a lot smarter. What what was your impression from this victory? You know, is this a a blip in the radar? Is this a potential turning or writing of the ship? Obviously, the schedule is getting very difficult now. But how important was this win just from a kind of a a reset standpoint for this team? Well, they had to have it. I mean, it was... You don't get many must-wins in November, but this was pretty close to a must-win. I think this is closer to the Rutgers team that we're going to see this year than what we've seen over the first six games, which was a team that looked pretty lost, trying to find an identity. And this is a decent team, okay? There's been this thing, Aaron, that has come up that Rutgers has no talent, that all the talent's transferred out. And I, I never believed that. I just felt like these guys who are here were not playing well. And yesterday, you saw the proof of that. This team has ability to compete you know, at a, at a Big Ten high major level. They just weren't playing well. And yesterday, they played well in really all respects of the game. Totally agree with you. I, I really think that there was uh, obviously the, the losses of Miles Johnson and Jacob Young and, and even Montez Mathis. You know, we, we knew that was going to be a factor and kind of a feeling out process. But I, I really felt that, that the key was the returning core not playing to their potential. Um, and I think it's really been encouraging with Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell, especially. They seem to be more comfortable now and starting to kind of find their, their roles uh, for what we had hoped that they would be. Yeah. And the, the, so the first pro- a lot of things went wrong for Rutgers in the first six games. Right. They couldn't shoot, couldn't hit the side of the barn. They were playing too slow. Uh, they weren't pushing the ball after their rebounds, which they were rebounding fairly well in most of the games. A couple of exceptions. They weren't pushing the ball. They weren't utilizing the, the, the speed that Cliff has at center, as, as athleticism. It was too much meat grinder stuff, and they couldn't hit a shot. It, it felt like it was contagious. And then well, they finally put together an offense, and the defense just totally disappeared in the UMass game. And I think the UMass game was more Steve Peichel's fault than the players. We can get into that. I think that was a coaching L, whereas the other, you know, the other games were, were the players' L. It's always a mix, of course. But finally, Rutgers put it all together. So, yes, there's some role uh, searching. Obviously, three talented, you know, mainstay-type players left. None of them were superstars. Miles Johnson is obviously really one of the best players in the country at what he does, right? Defending the paint, rebounding. But they didn't – Rutgers didn't lose – they lost mainstays. They didn't lose anybody who's superstar. And so there was talent remaining. So you, you, you guys were searching for who's going to be in those roles. Who's going to agitate on the perimeter defense? You know, who is going to, to uh, throw the outlet pass, you know, off a rebound? Things that Jacob Young and Miles Johnson did, little things that helped them get easy baskets. And finally, you saw some of that yesterday. Some guys picking up those roles, those dirty work type roles, energy type roles. And this group, I think, has it in them, but they, they did have to figure it out. Now, I thought because they had so much, so many veterans, they'd figure it out qu- more quickly. Obviously, they didn't to their detriment, but they did figure it out, and you just hope it's not too late now. Right. Well, that's that's the, you know, it's it's like this team's going to be on 
I guess it's almost a, it would be a positive if they're essentially on the bubble this whole season now because uh, the alternative is that they're not even close to it. And obviously they're their backs are against the wall. I do find it interesting. I feel like this team is always under Peichel, played better with their backs against the wall. And that kind of leads me to my, you know, question to you about obviously the way this team started, three the three losses they had were bad losses any way you cut it. But if Steve Peichel all summer and this preseason talks to us about, you know, this being a, a team that needs to, to come together to develop there's some newcomers that they have a, a returning core, but uh, it's going to take some time versus what he said to everyone, which was including on this podcast, his best team ever. Are we all looking at this start a little bit differently than we are right now? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it is Steve jacked up the expectations. And, you know, I, and I did it too. And people, some fans have given me some heat, but I did, I did see the team four times in the preseason and they look very good. So this was closer to the team that I saw in the in preseason in practice than what we've seen the first six games. So, yeah, part of that is expectations, right? If, if they look bad all preseason and Steve said, oh, I don't know, it's going to take a while, people would look at a little differently. I think they'd be a little less vitriol on the craziness we've seen, which we can get into on the <laughs> some of the fan reactions have been brutal. But, but the, the fact remains, no matter how Steve presented it, they still lost three terrible games and in some brutal gut punch fashion. So that's still bad. The good news is maybe they're starting to figure it out. And I do, one thing I liked yesterday, I liked a lot, was that they see, Rutgers seem to have found another piece, a rotation piece in Jalen Miller, right? And that's part of the discovery process. Like, I don't know why he didn't play in the first six games. They desperately needed him against UMass. You know, Steve's trying to figure out how his new pieces fit. And Miller was a guy who really helped them yesterday in the six minutes he played. You know, he, he, he really shut down Clemson's guards at critical times, gave guys rest. So Rutgers was able to withstand the run and counterpunch down the stretch. So like pieces like that emerge. And that's kind of what helps you get better over the course of the season. And I think that was definitely, there's definitely some room for optimism there. But you're right. Part of the teeth gnashing the first six, six games here was that expectations were super high. And a lot of people bear responsibility for that. Well, and I, I agree with you. I thought Miller was really impressive. I thought the most impressive thing about him was his poise. Uh, the way that he was able to step in his first game against a high major opponent. You know, he just looked immediately comfortable out there. He looked like he was enjoying himself. You know, I, I don't want to overplay it, but he just seemed to kind of bring a better energy to the entire team. Uh, in a way that, you know, I feel like is contagious. And um, I know like the players were, you know, uh, they all applauded him in the post game. And it, ju it just seems like he's he brought a different level for them. And, and, and for the first time, they look like they were having fun out there, which, you know, all season so far, there were times they looked miserable. The way the way Pykele made it sound was like Miller was going to redshirt. He said, no, I want to help this team now. And then I guess in the huddle, he was saying, you know, I can do this. I can do this. And the other, the players really liked him, and they were kind of inspired by his performance. You know, when think about it, I mean, if you've ever been part of a team, and the tenth man on the team or somebody on the a bench warmer type player comes in and delivers an inspiring performance and has a pep in his step, that 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 lifts everybody, that elevates everybody. Yeah, it was weird. I, all these years, Aaron, I've never seen the guys at a press conference bust into applause when a player's <laughs> name came up. I mean, no. Paul and Caleb and uh, and uh, Ron, they burst into applause when we asked about Jalen Miller. <laughs> so they really liked him and he really helped. And I, I, I fault Steve in a way for not 
coming to this conclusion sooner that he can help them. It's better late than never. You know, it'll be fun and interesting to see what his role is moving forward, but they're going to use him, and that's pretty much a lock. I mean, look, he finished the game yesterday. Rutgers protecting a lead, called on him to, to be on the court at the end of the game. That tells you a lot about his value and what his role is going to be. Well, I, I think that, you know, one positive of this three-game losing streak is it does seem like Peichel has become more flexible in his thinking with the rotation. You know, he was very, you know, he seemed bound, you know, in those first three games, even the ones they won, you know, he really cut off the bench right away uh, towards, you know, the second half. He really didn't play them at all. And I thought that that was a detriment in terms of development. And now it seems like, you know, I mean, even though I, we both agree it didn't work, you know, even just the idea of playing someone like Palmquist in a different spot, uh, it was the wrong spot. But still, it, you know, it seems like in the last couple of games, his mindset is changing. So he, he really is working more actively to find rotations and lineups that work better together than what, what's been working. Watching Steve closely over the last five years, six years now, he's, he's very rigid in his approach to rotations, right? He, he yep. rarely changes his starting lineup. He leaves the starters in for a long run. He, he usually subs in the same guys in order. Okay, uh, so there was he's now changing that. He had to. He had no choice. So, but you know you, where you could fault Steve is, like, why didn't he see this when they were skating by Lehigh and you know uh, NJIT and and um, Merrimack. His first couple Merrimack. Thank you. He should have seen this then, but you know, he waited until they, they they got bit in the butt. But yes, he now has moved the, the, the chess pieces around. And it definitely, you're right, there's something that we could be gained from that for sure. The other thing that has changed is these guys have started to push the ball. Now, they're never going to, look, they're never going to be a run-and-gun team with the personnel they have in the backcourt. It's hard to do that when you have when you don't have good three-point shooters. So it does seem like they're making a better effort these last couple games to score earlier in possessions, which they really have to do with the personnel they have. I felt like that's not that's not really the way Steve likes to play, but this is what he ha- the way he has to play with a team that's not going to get, you know, be able to bomb threes or maybe turn other teams over as much at a, off their defense. So, yes, that's also an improvement we've seen. So you just brought me to two different points that I wanted to, to talk to you about. So let me start with the first one. Three-point shooting, you know, uh, obviously it was, it was much better last night and they did an amazing job on Clemson. But it just it, this is the, just a long-time Rutgers fan of me kind of venting to you how, you know, it's amazing. Even the, the low major teams that Rutgers is playing, they all have multiple shooters on the perimeter. And, you know, I even went back. I looked. I mean, the last time Rutgers has had four legitimate three-point shooters, we go back to 2005, 2006. Yeah, when that's they had, what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah, and, and I, I forgot even that Anthony Farmer and Webb were such good three-point shooters. It's amazing to me. And it's not a Peichel-specific issue. It's just, is it a, I, I, curse is the wrong word, but it's just amazing to me year after year. I mean, I told last year, you know, Mulcahy was the first shooter over 39% the season since Omari Greer uh, with the Jordan era. I mean, it's amazing how this program year after year can't find three-point shooters. And I just feel like, you know, even though Pike was a defensive first coach, how much easier is the wrong word, but, but you know, more balanced this team would be is if he could find guys like that. Yeah, so it, it's been uh, definitely been a flaw over the years, and it's a, it's a game that's so heavily reliant on the three-pointer, right? So uh, with certain terms of Steve, it's just not something he prioritizes in his evaluations. You know, he, he's looking for defense. He's looking for toughness. He's looking for coachability. 
you know, he's looking for, I think, rebounding, uh, a nose for the ball, you know, basketball IQ for sure. I, I just don't see him prioritizing shooting. So obviously they're going to, you know, they're going to have to change that at some point to take the next step. The adjustment I'll have to make is he's going to have to look at shooters in the transfer portal. Like this is, I know there are a lot of concerns about Steve's recruiting out of high school. I don't know how much that matters anymore, to be honest, Aaron. Yeah, well, I guess the hope is, you know, just seeing his flexibility now, the, the managing the rotation, you know, I think that really is the long-term maybe concern in terms of his recruiting approach. And hopefully, you know, the way that this season has started, um, he might, you know, uh, be more willing to be more flexible or uh, change his approach some. He didn't get to where he is. He's a very successful coach. He didn't get to where he is by being inflexible. You know, he's a, he's a smart guy and he pays attention to the trends. So he's going to, he's going to change. He's going to do what he has to do. And I think that'll be part of what he does for sure. Cause it's definitely, even though this team played well last night, they do look like a different team when shots fall. It's pretty clear that there's going to be more off nights than on nights with the personnel you have here. Jerry, last question for you, just in terms of, of the schedule ahead, uh, these next three games, obviously at Illinois, Purdue at home, at Seton Hall before, you know, pretty winnable yet competitive January for the Big Ten. What's the short to medium term outlook for this team uh, in the next month and a half from well, your view? First of all, can Rutgers win one of the next three games? I think that should be a baseline expectation. You know, they will be underdogs in all three, but can they win one? Can they, can, they, can they win one of these games? They're good enough to win one. I don't know which one it'll be. Obviously, the best team they're going to play they have at home. And the other two games are on the road. I do think Illinois is the most vulnerable opponent right now of the three. They're, they're missing some guys. They're down a couple of key players who, who missed their game against Notre Dame, which is still one. And they, you know, Rutgers has beaten Illinois. They beat them last year. You know, they've, they've beaten them. They've beaten this group a decent amount. So that's the game I think they get the best chance of winning Friday. Uh, it is on the road. But yeah, can they win one of the three? Because if they, if they lose the next three games, then you've gone, you know, best case, You've gone, you know, you, you go through that non-conference schedule at seven and four, which is not very good considering who you played. And then you're starting in an 0 and 2 hole in the Big Ten. Very tough to dig out of. When one of, if they win two of the next three, they're off to the races. I don't know if that's realistic. When one of the next three, you know, get into January with a heartbeat. And then after the Michigan game, it does turn a little easier. And the Big Ten isn't quite as good as it's been. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to say, of course, in December 1st that their NCAA tournament hopes are finished. But the team I saw last night that we all saw is capable of winning one of these next three games. They got to do it. Jerry Carino, Asbury Park Press, Gannett, thank you so much for being back. Appreciate all your insight and look forward to speaking to you later this season. Same here, guys. Thanks. Anytime. We'll talk hoops with you guys. Thanks so much to Jerry for coming back to talk Rutgers Hoops. Obviously, uh, a difficult start to the season uh, for, for Rutgers men's basketball and for and for the fan base coming in with high expectations. See if Michael really set the bar really high. Obviously, uh, I, I do think it's affected the way we've viewed this season and this team so far. But listen, I've always said this team operates and performs better both when, when Michael and this team feel their backs are against the wall and have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I think Michael has a chip on his shoulder right now. He's, you know, not happy in terms of obviously the way the team has started. But I think also the criticism, I think that, you know, it, it, listen, it would be great to hear him say, I told you guys so at the end of the season about how much he loved this team and how much he believed in this team. 
And I think that's that's what he's thinking. And I think uh, in terms of this team, you know, th- there are signs that, that they're getting better. And I think um, the rotation is gelling. I, I'm really intrigued by Jalen Miller and what he can offer this team defensively. And I think, you know, listen, it, it's it's just one player. But I, I think that there was a spark that, that came out last night that they hadn't had in a while. So they seem to have fun again. And I think that's key to their success the rest of the way as well. Big matchup ahead with Illinois on Friday night, 7 p.m., ESPN2. And then they'll take on Purdue at Jersey Mike's Arena the following Thursday before heading to The Rock on Sunday, December 12th to take on Seton Hall. So these next three games are really huge for the season. You know, listen. Losing all three is going to put them in a big hole. I think, like I said, I think the Seton Hall game is the key to everything. Obviously, winning at Illinois would be absolutely huge. But I, I don't think it's panic time if they lose the first two games to potentially the two best teams in the Big Ten. Um, but that Seton Hall game is an opportunity to really get a statement win locally uh, and, and energize the fan base in a way that, frankly, it needs to be. So let's see what happens. Thanks again to Jerry for being here. Thanks so much for listening. You can see all of our coverage at onthebanks.com. Check us out on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. And thanks again for listening here at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.